Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. Today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 39. If you want to turn there in your Bibles or pull it up on your phone. And Genesis, fun fact, so I'm a uh, I'm a, I'm a nerd, so I like fun facts. Fun fact, the word Genesis is a Latin word, and it means beginning or origin, which is really fitting because it's at the beginning of the Bible, first book, it's the beginning of the Bible, it's about the origin of the universe, and it's about the beginning of the family of God. And so it's a fitting name for the book. And to begin, I have a question I want you to think about. It'll come up on the screen. How long can you say no to unhelpful desires? How long can you say no to unhelpful desires? This uh, past week or so, I was scrolling through Facebook, and I came across this Facebook video of this dad of two little toddler boys. And basically, this dad puts fruit snacks in front of these two toddlers, and he says, you can can have these fruit snacks, but first, I'm going to leave the room. You can't eat them until I come back. There'll be an image come up on the screen. Super cute, little toddlers. He, he's giving them fruit snacks. And so for the first 10 seconds, the toddlers pretend like the fruit snacks don't exist when their dad is gone. They don't look at it. They don't think about it. But then, about 20 seconds into the video, they get this evil grin on their face, and they start poking and prodding the fruit snacks. And by 30 seconds into the video, half of the fruit snacks are in the one boy's mouth. And so uh, that's just to, to think about. It's easy to give into unhelpful desires. We don't have to be trained to do it, right? These are toddlers. Nobody taught them how to disobey their dad. They just wanted fruit snacks, and so they ate them. How long can you say no to unhelpful desires? Hopefully, it's longer than 30 seconds, right? Like, hopefully, it's, it's longer than that, but is it, is it three minutes? Is it three hours, three months, three years? You guys want to hear my fruit snack story? Okay, yeah. How long did the toddlers last? They lasted 30 seconds. I lasted about four and a half hours. So we have uh, in our office this communal uh, countertop that you can put As a staff member, you can put fun snacks that you want to share with the rest of the staff. Put whatever you want on it. We lovingly call it the trough. All right? And so in my life recently, uh, this past year, I've been trying to do the whole weight loss thing. I've been trying to to work out, eat correctly. I was doing really well at the beginning of the year. At the, uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I, I fell off the wagon. I went on vacation. And when I came back from vacation, I told myself, I'm going to get back on the weight loss wagon. I'm going to eat well, count my calories, work out more. And so I did really, really well at the beginning, right? Like first day, got back from vacation, woke up early, worked out, and I come into work, and this is what our trough looks like, right? You got cookies, you got Doritos, you got pretzels. That bag is full of Panera bagels. And on top of the microwave is a bowl filled with potato chips. Not just regular potato chips, but barbecue potato chips. Every single one of my weaknesses is right there. And normally, right, you, you would just say, okay, just try to avoid the trough, Ryan. Just don't go near it. But the problem is, here's a picture from my office to the trough. 
I didn't stand a chance. And so I, I did really well for about the first four and a half hours. And then I confess, I gave into the call of the potato chips. <laughs> so how long can you say no to unhelpful desires? How long can you say no to something that you know is unhelpful for you? And, and it doesn't just have to be physically. It can be relationally. It can be emotionally. It can be mentally. How long can you say no to that thing before you give in? To make a spiritual shift to these unhelpful desires, they're called temptations in the Bible. This is what the Bible says about temptation in the book of James. Each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. And that's like serious. We're tempted by our unhelpful desires. If we give in to those desires, that sin, sin can kill us. Because think about this for a second, right? If I had one potato chip, it's not going to kill me. But can you give it to me that if we ate all of the time, we never stopped eating, we wouldn't have that long of a life. If we built our entire life around the sole idea, every choice we made was about gaining wealth, we wouldn't be here that long. If every single time we had a sexual temptation, we gave into it, there wouldn't be much time left for us. And so I don't know what your unhelpful desire is. We all have one that we struggle with. But what, I just, for a second, want you to think about, what if every single time that temptation, that unhelpful desire came up, you gave into it? What would your life look like? The reality is, when we give into sin and temptation, we are slowly killing ourselves. And that's serious, guys. Like, think about how different your life would be if all of us, if we did not give in to that one time or do that one thing. But don't worry, there's hope, right? We're in a series right now where we're looking at the life of Joseph, facing the twists and turns of life. And we're going to look at a story where Joseph faced temptation and he resisted. And we're going to look at what set Joseph apart so we can try to have success in our own life, in our own sin and temptation. Because wouldn't it be really, really cool if the next time that sin or temptation came up, we didn't give in, we didn't fall, we didn't stumble. So, Joseph so far, he has just been sold into slavery, and he was purchased as a slave by a guy named Potiphar. Really wealthy guy, owned a huge estate in, in the kingdom of Egypt. And, and Potiphar saw that God was blessing him, uh, so uh, Potiphar put Joseph in charge of his entire estate. He made him like his head slave because God was blessing Joseph. And then Potiphar's wife takes a liking to Joseph and tries to seduce him. And we'll pick up in verse 6 of chapter 39. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. 
Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. So pause for a second, right? We see Joseph, head, slave. He refuses to even be with Potiphar's wife because she's tempting him, trying to get him to sleep with her. Last two verses. One day, when he went into the house to attend to his duties, none of the other servants was inside. She, Potiphar's wife, caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. And so the title of the talk today is Triumph Over Temptation, Remaining Faithful Through Distractions. In this text, I see two ways Joseph triumphed over temptation. And I'm going to pray before we get into the talk, but before I pray, I want you guys to be thinking about that one thing that God could give you victory in. So Lord, we come before you right now and we just give you this time. We pray that you help us when it comes to sin and temptation, whatever that one thing is that is affecting us, that is challenging us, that you help us right now. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first point, fill in the blank on your program. Hopefully you have one. Joseph triumphed over temptation by giving a consistent No. Joseph consistently said no. Let's look back at verse 10. And though she, Potiphar's wife, spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Joseph said no the first time, the second time. We don't know how many times it was, but the text says day after day. So it was more than twice. And Joseph consistently said no. He consistently resisted her. He didn't say, okay, just this one time I'll sleep with you and then it's, it's over. We're not doing it again. He said no the first time, 20th time, 30th time. He just said no. How many of you guys remember the, the D.A.R.E. program from like the early 2000s? Just say no against drugs and alcohol. That's what he did. He just said no. That's a biblical idea. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2:22, flee from the evil desires of youth. Just say no to those desires. Joseph shut the door on temptation and he didn't give in. But it's hard to just say no, right, to sin and temptation. Like that's, that's really challenging. Just like, like it's really easy to say just say no. It's hard to actually do it. It's similar to uh, losing weight. It's really easy to talk about losing weight. You just need to eat less and move more. It's really hard to actually do that. It's the same with temptation. So I have two tips that will hopefully help us give a consistent no when temptation comes. They're fill in the blanks. The first one is we need to shut some doors. We need to shut some doors when it comes to temptation. Back to my illustration with all the salty food on the trough from my office, right? That wood paneling you see on the left, that's my office door. And the reality is, when my office door is open, I can see the food on the trough, I can smell the food on the trough, and I can hear Pastor Andrew eating all the food on the trough. (laughs) But when my door is closed, I can't see the food. 
I can't smell the food, and I can't hear people eating the food. It's a lot easier for me to give in to the temptation when the door is wide open, but when it's shut, it's harder for me because I don't see it. Joseph, in our text, shut the door to temptation by refusing to even be with Potiphar's wife. Genesis 39.10, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. And there's this quote from a, a book that I read all the way back in high school, and it's stuck with me all these years. And this book was talking about Proverbs 5.8 in the Bible. And Proverbs 5.8 is about resisting adulterous women, which is, I think, fitting for this text we're talking about. Proverbs 5.8 says, keep a path far from her. Don't even go near the door of her house. And then this book goes on to say this that I, that I read. It's not enough to stay away from temptation. You must make it your aim to stay away from the door of the temptation. The door is not the temptation nor the sin. The door is that which would lead you to the temptation and to the sin. Make it your aim not only to avoid the temptation. Locate the door to the temptation and stay as far away from it as possible. Now listen to this last line. For it is the wise who, instead of dealing with temptation and sin, deal with doors. And that struck me all those years ago, and it's still true now. When my office door was closed, I didn't give in to temptation. It wasn't until I opened it up that I did. And so to bring this into the room, the question I want you to think about, it'll be on the screen, what doors should I slam shut? Maybe you know that your smartphone is a wide open door for you to look at things you shouldn't be looking at or talking to people you have no right to be talking to. And so you need to slam that door shut by getting some content blocking apps or accountability partners. Maybe you know that every Tuesday at 7 o'clock the loneliness bug bites and you're a lot more likely to use or to drink. And so you need to slam that door shut by making plans with Christian friends. Or maybe you know that in the world of the 24-hour news cycle, if you consistently watch news, you become one of the angriest, most insufferable people alive. And so you have to shut the door to the 24-hour news cycle, not watch news, and, and just give it to God. What are those doors that you need to slam shut? Because the reality is, and I, I think this is true of, of most all of us, the reality is we would like to think we're a lot stronger than we actually are. I would like to think I'm a lot stronger than I actually am. I would like to believe that I could walk past the trough a hundred times a day and it have no effect on me whatsoever. But the reality is it does. The reality is if we keep putting ourselves in front of those things where we continuously struggle, we'll probably fall. And so we need to have a plan. We need to have a plan when those things come up. Because if we don't, we don't, if we don't have a plan, then we'll probably fall. But what if the temptation is right in front of us? What if we're staring it right in the face? What if the door is wide open and there doesn't seem to be anywhere else to go? What do we do then? And that leads me to my second tip. We need to run to God. We need to run to God. Paul writes in Corinthians 10, 
13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. God is faithful. He will provide a way out. But here's the key. We have to go to him. We can't just expect a way out to just magically appear. We have to make the conscious decision when temptation is staring us in the face to go to God. This uh, just happened to me a a week or so ago. I was driving on my way into work, and, and I take Jackson Road. And I was at the intersection of Ironwood and Jackson Road. It's a four-way stop. There were three other cars already there, right? I was the fourth one, so the four-way stop was full. It was obviously my turn to go. The three other cars had went. I was taking a left through the intersection. My blinker was on. And the person in front of me decided it was the Indy 500, slammed on their accelerator. I had to slam on my brakes to avoid a collision. And in that moment, I wanted to say and gesture some really not nice things. <laughs> like, like, I'll be honest with you, I wanted, I wanted to lose my lid. But, but then I thought about it for, for half a second, and, and God spoke to me and said, what, what, what if you pray to her? Pray for her. And so I, I went to God in prayer, and I, I said like a half a second prayer for, for this lady God, just be with her today. And you know what? God showed up. He brought peace. And so so a question will come up on the screen. When was the last time you were tempted and you immediately ran to God? What do you think would have changed if you did? Or if you did, what did change? God showed up for me. God shows up when we run to him. And so that's the first point. Joseph triumphed over temptation by giving a consistent no. The second point, let's fill in the blank. Joseph triumphed over temptation by willing to look foolish. He was willing to look foolish. Let's look at uh, verse 12. She, Potiphar's wife, caught him, Joseph, by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Now, that word cloak in that verse is interesting. In the original Hebrew, it'll come up on the screen. It's, yeah, pronounced beged. It means garment or clothing. And basically, of the 211 times this word is used in the Old Testament, a majority of the time, over 60% of the time, it just means clothing. And so I, I thought it was interesting that it, it was translated cloak in this verse. And so because I'm a nerd, I decided to do some research on ancient Egyptian dress codes. Because how else would you spend a Wednesday evening, if not this way? And so I basically came up with two images. The image on the left is what a lower-class slave in ancient Egypt would have worn. This is Joseph's time. It's basically a loincloth. Those guys are are making some bricks. On the right is what an upper-class slave would have worn, right? They're giving gifts to their master. And, And essentially, on the right, they have one piece of clothing. It's like a cloak that's wrapped around them and tied around their waist with a belt, like a rope belt. Joseph probably was wearing what the folks on the right were wearing. And so I don't tell you this just as like an interesting dress codes of of the ancient world. I tell you this because what we shouldn't think is that Joseph was wearing a three-piece suit. Potiphar's wife grabbed one of the three pieces, and he ran out fully clothed. No, no, Joseph 
had one piece of clothing on. Potiphar's wife grabbed it. He ran. So at best, Joseph was running out of the house in his underwear. At worst, he was naked. Like, that's the reality. Joseph looked foolish. I, I don't know if you've ever been there. I have not. I've never ran out of the house naked. But I can imagine that you would look and feel pretty foolish if that happened to you. And the question becomes, why? Why did Joseph do that? Why was Joseph willing to go to such lengths to avoid sleeping with Potiphar's wife? And we actually see it. It's in verse 9. He says, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? You, you can write this in. It's a fill in the blank. Uh, Joseph prioritized God's perception over people's perception. You see, Joseph realized if he slept with his master's wife, he would be singing against the creator of the universe. And Joseph would have rather looked like a naked fool than sin against God. And that's love. That's devotion. And for homework, I want you guys to, to read what happened afterwards in the story. It's, it's really interesting. I'll summarize it here, but you, you should really read it. Uh, basically, Potiphar's wife accuses Joseph of trying to rape her, and Joseph gets thrown in prison. But God remembers Joseph, and he blesses Joseph, and Joseph becomes the head of this prison where he's able to do so much more ministry there in that prison than he was in Potiphar's household. That's uh, what Pastor Cameron talked about last week. And by the way, this looking foolish thing for God is like a theme in the Bible. Noah, in Genesis, built a boat when it had never rained. He looked pretty foolish. There was a, a general of one of the armies of Israel, and, and he, to try to take control of a city, marched around it seven times and blew his trumpets at the wall. He looked pretty foolish. Another stupid underwear story. King David, in the Old Testament, danced in his underwear to honor God. He looked foolish. But in all those instances, God had a plan. There was a flood coming for Noah. Those walls of that city did fall down for Joshua. And David, when God saw how much he loved and honored him, God gave him one of the most prosperous and best cities the ancient world had ever seen. But they looked foolish for him. And so to bring this into the room, I have a question for you guys to think about. It's the last fill in the blank. To avoid sin and temptation, are you willing to look foolish for God? Are you willing to look foolish for God? Are you willing... When, when your friends come up to you and, and say, hey, you should really check out this show on HBO Max, and, and you say, no, I'm not going to do it because of the stuff I know is in that show, and, and even though I really want to watch it, I'll be tempted to, to take it too far. And you say, no, I, I'm not going to get it. And your friends will be like, well, that's weird. Or if your friends ask you to go out drinking with them, and you say, no, 
I'm not going to do it, even though secretly you're like, yeah, I want to go out, I want to party with them. But, but you know in the Bible it says, be of sober mind. And so, so you say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to go out with you. And they look at you like you have three eyes on your head, and they just don't get it. Or how about you're the parent of little Timmy, and little Timmy has the opportunity to be in travel ball, but travel ball is the same time as youth group. And all of the parents are saying, if little Timmy isn't in travel ball, then he's not going to make varsity. He's not going to get a spot on the team in college. He won't get a scholarship. Basically, Timmy's a failure. But you say, no, actually, Timmy having a relationship with God through youth group is, is more important than travel ball. And the parents just look at you like, what are you doing? Don't you even care about Timmy? And you say, yeah, but it's important that he know Jesus. Are you willing to face temptation and look foolish? I'll end with a personal story from my own life. Uh, when I was in college, I had a double major in biblical studies and IT. So I studied Bible and computers. And I had the opportunity one summer to go to Indiana University for six weeks over the summer and, and learn how to build a website from scratch. And so I went at this six-week program at Indiana University, and it was the first time I was surrounded by mostly non-Christians. I'd grown up in a Christian household, I went to a Christian college, but in this program, I was one of maybe two Christians. And every single uh, Friday night, there would be a group of guys that would get together, knock on all these other guys' doors, and invite them to the local strip club. And every single week, they would knock on my door, and I would say, no, I, I don't want to go with you. And about three weeks in, uh, I get the knock on my door, I say, no, I don't want to go to the strip club with you. And one of the guys uh, pushed back and said, why don't you want to go with us? And in that moment, I was tempted to just say, it's not my scene. I don't want to go. I don't want to give in. But I knew in my heart, God was telling me, you need to tell them the real reason why I didn't want to go. You need to stand up for me. And 0% of me wanted to do that. 0% of me wanted to say the real reason. I just wanted to say, ah, it's not my scene and be done with it. But instead, I... I pushed myself to say, it, it's because I believe in Jesus, and I think that any sexual act should be between a husband and a wife. And those guys looked a little taken aback. They snickered, and then for the rest of the three weeks, they called me names, right? It wasn't anything horrible, but they made fun of me. I looked foolish to them. They didn't get it. But two things came out of that. One, and this was interesting, that, that guy that pushed back, his, his name was Ray, Ray never went to the strip club with the guys again. And two, there was another Christian in that uh, group, not the group of guys that went to the strip club, but the, in that program. And I didn't realize he was a Christian. He came up to me afterwards. He said, hey, Ryan, I heard what you said. And, and actually, um, I'm going through some really hard times. Can you pray for me? And I was able to pray for him. So because I didn't give in to temptation, because I looked foolish for God, God provided me with two ministry opportunities. I was able to plant a seed and raise life, and I was able to pray for a Christian brother who was going through a hard time. That was worth looking foolish for. So the question that comes up, are you willing to look foolish for God? And just to recap this talk, Joseph triumphed over temptation by giving a consistent no and being willing to look foolish. 
Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.